This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 49, Toolbox Episode, How Banks Win. Hint, it's not about the rate of return. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Holly Bach, and here with me in the studio today is Mark Willis. Hey, everybody. All right. So we just came off an episode where we were talking about savings and kind of the magic formula to savings. And so what we wanted to talk about today and kind of dive into next um, with another toolbox episode is um, just kind of how the, the dynamic that's going on within the banks and how that might be hurting, you know, the people that are dutifully saving. Um, we certainly don't want to have um, this you know podcast be this like disparaging um, podcasts where sure. we just talk about how, you know, no one saves and, um, you know, the world is doomed or something like that. Um, you know, truly there are people out there that are saving very diligently. They're doing the right things, but still end up losing. Sure. Um, and so we want to see, you know, kind of talk about who is winning um, and hint, you know, here we're talking about how yeah. the banks are winning and, um, you know, maybe why that's happening and how maybe we can overcome some of that. And so, you know, for toolbox episodes to recall our, our audience, it's a ways to find complex financial jargon and uh, communicate it in a way that makes sense and maybe gives people a new way to think. So what's the financial jargon this this week? Well, it's the concept of rate of return. It's mm. good good opening there. Yeah. All right. So tell us a bit about the stat that you, you stumbled across from the, what was it, the Economic Policy Institute? Yes. So um, according to the Economic Policy Institute, the average retirement savings of all working age families, which is age 32 to 61, is 95700 776 to to the dollar. Okay. Um, So it seems seems like it's pretty good. Um, However, since nearly half of U.S. families have no retirement account savings at all, um, this figure is pretty skewed, though, um, because of, you know, high um, it's skewed high because of retirement super savers and also older pre-retirees that are saving you know more than when they were younger that kind of boosts that national average. Ah, there's that average return again right there. That average, we're mm-hmm. trying to be not your average here. So what's the real like actual experience? What's the, I guess the median is what we're looking for, right? Yeah. So for a more inclusive perspective at what American families have in retirement savings, we like to look at the median um, retirement savings, which is more representative of the middle of the spectrum. So if we look at retirement preparedness through this lens, um, the median savings of all working age families is just $5,000. (laughs) <laughs> wow. So you pick whoever's in the middle of the line. If you line up all Americans in the middle of that line is some dude with 5000 bucks for his future. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And these are middle-aged people, 31 to 62, right? Mm-hmm. So that $90,000 gap between the average savings and the median savings demonstrates just the discrepancy between the average American and maybe those who are just super savers, like we've talked about. Maybe the 1%, you might say, some might say. 
so, wow, that's crazy, Holly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, I mean, Americans really did used to be a nation of savers. Um, but, you know, like we actually just talked about in our last episode a little bit, we've kind of transitioned into this phase where now we're a nation of debtors. Hmm. Um, and so we actually have a chart that we'll include in our, our show notes for you guys to see that kind of shows literally this dynamic crossing. Um, so it shows historically American savings rate coming from, you know, it used to be higher up towards, um, you know, 10, 12% back in the 90s. And you see that line just come down, you know, from uh, like the a rock. 10 to 12% comes all the way down to, you know, maybe sitting at around about 2% now. So that is like one line going one way. Um, then we have another line crossing over it that shows um, the average American's you know debt, um, and so that goes from you know one end starts low and then goes all the way across it up our chart, you know, to the top where our debt has just increased over time. So you can imagine kind of this X that's We're in a crosshair. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This X that's forming where we we literally crossed over. Um, We went from savings to just taking on debt. Mm. Okay. So the, you know, the median income for the average household uh, in uh, the United States is now approximately at $59,000. That's according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So we've got this median income of 59000 right? And our savings rate is at about, today it is about at 2%, which means we're saving 1100 bucks a year. And we have a total on average of $5,000 saved for our retirement, okay? Um, but that means that we, every four years or so, if we're saving 1100 bucks a year and we've got $5,000, that means about every four years or so we're having to cash, at, cash that out to go take care of an emergency or pay off a student loan or buy a car, right? Doesn't this sound a little familiar to, mm-hmm. to most of us? So we've mentioned before on this podcast that the average American uh, s- uh, spends about a third of his income on servicing debts. That's one third. If time is money, that's a third of your day working for a bank. That's according to the U.S. Department of Commerce Bureau. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here we are. We're saving 2%, hoping for tremendous rates of return. Uh, there's that word again, rate of return. Keep that in mind. And then we're spending 130% and being charged interest rates on top of that. No wonder so many of us are slaves to a bank. However, somehow it never dawns on most of us that with this kind of a headwind, we are never going to be free from our debts, from our creditors who will always own us. I mean, it's, it's literally uh, institutionalized at mm-hmm. this point for many of us. Yeah. And I mean, what's happening is that, you know, we let's just say we buy a car, we get a car loan. And by the time we pay off that car loan, it's time to get another car. And then that Mm -hmm. cycle just repeats. So 95% of cars that are traded in or not paid for, we simply roll that over, you know, roll roll that loan balance over into the next car and keep the payments flowing to the bank. So it's Mm. kind of this never ending cycle of you're just kind of perpetually going to have a car loan forever. And that payment it's just going to perpetually be going to the bank. I mean, that's a pretty yeah. that's a pretty sweet system. Sure. I mean, if, if we're talking bank, yeah. about passive income, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's about as good as it yep. gets yep. to know that there's always going to be this perpetual steady stream because even once that first loans up, you know, they're just going to be trading it right on in for another one. So, you know, but some of that's payment of principal. So I'm literally getting more of ownership of my car with every car payment, but approximately how much is going toward interest, you know, of my car payments? Yeah. So over the life of a car loan, 20% of every payment will go towards pure interest. Wow. Um, or really the 
profit to the bank. Hmm. So it's not really about the annual percentage rate. It's about the volume of interest that really matters. Okay. So I might have a 2% car loan, but you're saying over the lifetime of my car repayment plan, I'm going to overpay for that car 20%. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So when you see that sticker price, if you're financing it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you increase that by 20% and you have a more accurate representation of what that car is going to cost you. Um, And it's even worse with a house where 86% of every mortgage payment over 30 years goes to profits to a bank. (laughs) Wow. 86%. So you're almost doubling the cost of your home by financing it. So, you know, would you want to pay two times what your house is actually worth? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that's that's an eye opener right there. It's not about rate of return, is it? It's about the volume. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you go to the doctor to get a shot, it's not about the rate by which the medicine enters your bloodstream. It's the volume that counts. Too little and it won't help you. Too much and it's going to kill you. So, yeah, it's it's tremendous when you think about that. Uh, it's the volume of interest that really knocks you off your Mm -hmm. And the problem isn't just that we have all this interest going to the banks. The real problem is we have our attention on something completely different. Mm. Um, You'll really ask any self-respecting middle-class American what matters most for their retirement, and they will tell you to hit a high rate of return in their retirement account. I would say nine times out of ten, you you walk down the street and say, what's most important in retiring well? Hmm. They're just going to say high rate of return. High rate of return, good yep. market, good economy, yep. you know, something like that. Um, but if you're making a 25% rate of return, which is a great yeah. return. Oh, smokes. Where yeah. are you doing that? Yeah. Call us up. Tell yeah, us. Yeah, let us know. Um, on your 2% of savings, you have a whopping 2.5%. Okay, so wait a minute. So you're saying if I'm saving 2% of my income and that 2% of my income is earning me 25%, that I have a total whopping 2.5% of my income at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Which keep in mind, that's a great return. That's a great return. <laughs> you know, so that, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like, you know, the rosy, rosy situation. So here, I save 2% scenario. and I got another 0.5% because of that awesome rate of return of 25. Got it. Okay. Yep. Got it. Yep. So if you're making $60,000 a year, return adjusted amount of, you know, $1,500 okay. is how much you would have saved. Got it. Um, However, if you increase your volume of your return and lower the rate of return, let's see what happens there. So let's say that you're only saving 10% of your income, but actually earning a 0% rate of return. So we would say that's terrible. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a savings account. That's a checking account. And you ask again, walk down the street and, you know, nine times out of 10, you ask someone, I could offer you a 0% return. No one's going (laughs) to take that deal. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and no one's going to want that. They would say to run away. But if you were to just, you know, take that 10% of your income, 0% of return, let's just say you're throwing it in a shoebox. But 10% of 60000 is 6000 hmm. So really, which would you rather have? Would you rather have $6,000 and no risk or $1,500 with a vol- volatile um, 25% return? Wow. Yeah. That yeah. could very easily be negative 25% the following exactly. year. <laughs> sure. Wow. So it is. It's all about the volume. 
of savings, not the rate at which your savings grows. Which just kind of kind of echoes back to our last episode. So you can see we're kind of building on mm-hmm. it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, where we were encouraging people to to follow that formula of saving 10, 10, 10, so that you're saving more. So we're not chasing after a higher rate of return. We're just simply saving more, which is a higher volume. Yeah, it's not about the rate of return. We need to get t-shirts that say that. <laughs> uh, let's just say that you want to fly from Chicago to LA. And let's say that that your plane, you've got a pilot's license, and your personal plane can fly 100 miles an hour, okay? The only problem is that you've got onto the uh, tarmac and you notice that there's a headwind coming right at you at 345 miles per hour, okay? So regardless what your airspeed indicator says on your airplane, you are moving toward New York (laughs) at (laughs) 245 miles an hour. You might as well just get down on the ground and take a bicycle to LA at that point. (laughs) So, you know, what's the solution? Okay, so back to paying attention. Pay attention to your environment. You know, the fish is the last to notice the water, as they say. If you can learn to pay attention to the environment, your financial environment, you can really win. Have some patience and wait for that wind to change. They always do. All right, so as the air pressure changes, the wind stops, and you have no wind in your face, and you can get to LA at 100 miles an hour. And you think you're doing great. But the truth is that's not actually great. That's just average. And we're here to tell you not to be average. So, you know, that's just simply paying cash for things, you know, in this metaphor. Is there anything better, though? Yes, there is something better than being just debt-free. So what's another way to do this? Well, you can think like a banker and see how they flip the script for themselves. Um, If you can be patient still and let the airspeed move you back, now you have... Get behind you, yeah. Move to your back, yep. yep. Now you have a tailwind of 345 miles an hour plus your airplane speed of 100 miles an hour that can push you forward. Now you're moving at 445 miles an hour, which is pretty impressive versus you're backwards. You know, you're going backwards before, but now you're moving forward at 445 miles Mm -hmm. an hour. Um, And that's what banks do. And that's what you can do too. Wow. You're right. No. And and to compare 445 miles an hour to a negative 245 when the wind is blowing in your face, all it was was a change in the environment, but you just moved yourself forward 600 miles per hour over what you were getting with with the headwind. I just think that's it's the simplest things that have the greatest impact is, I guess, the moral of that story. You know, most people spend their entire life trying to figure out how to get their airplane to go, you know, not 100 miles an hour, but 105. You know, that's that's kind of the, the financial equivalent of getting a higher rate of return on your 401k. And I couldn't care less, to be very honest. I know I'm coming out as a financial planner to say rate of return doesn't matter. I know that's almost anathema. Uh, it's almost sacrilegious to say that. Uh, and sure, I guess it, it, it matters in some small way, like going from 100 to 105 miles an hour in your airplane. But instead, instead of focusing all your attention on the minutia there, instead, pay attention to the environment in which your plane is flying. In the financial world, unlike an airplane, you can control the environment in which you live. You can create your own tailwind. You can win the game, uh, the game of money and profit like banks do. This is the most profitable thing you can do over a lifetime. So how do banks do it? How do banks win? Well, it's all about the flow of interest. So when you walk into a bank and hand them a deposit, you know, what do they do with it? Do they just let it sit in the wall somewhere? I feel like I 
isn't that isn't that true? I mean, no. yeah. I mean, don't they have a little shoebox with my money in it? <laughs> nope, absolutely not. So what they do as soon as they get your deposit is they hand that out as a loan to the guy behind you in line. <laughs> so you deposit the money, the guy behind you needs a loan for something, and they're going to pretty much just take your money and give it to him. So how much interest do they pay you? Well, for the privilege of not having your money in your pocket, they might pay you 1% interest, which in today's days, yeah. you're pretty lucky yep. if you can get that much. Uh, but then how much are they going to be charging that guy right behind you in line for your money? It's not even their money in the first place, but how much are they charging this other guy to um, to have access to it? The money that they just got from you and they don't actually even own. Well, they might charge him you know, 5%, 10% interest. That's a thousand percent rate of return <laughs> and yep. more important than the rate is the volume how many customers do that at the bank every single day what else besides loans do banks do you know loans is a hundred percent of their business mm. that's what loans are yeah. in existence for to help people get access to capital they wouldn't otherwise have i'm reading a book right now called debt the first five thousand years and it's <laughs> a incredible book but it, it points to this fact that banks mm -hmm. have always and for 5,000 years have functioned under this world where they have the product on their shelf is the product of debt. And they make tremendous, that's why they have the biggest buildings in town, you know, mm -hmm. and why they have the richest, wealthiest families in, in on this planet's history. So, yep. you know, let's, speaking of history, let's talk about some of the history of this country and how interest rates have played in. So this blew my minds. Uh, my mind, guys, and I hope it blows your minds as well. So in the 1980s, interest rates were paying at about 9%. Can you imagine that, a savings account paying that much these days? I love it. And they were char banks were charging 15%. All right, so let's do some, some math on that. You were your bank, and you pay me 9%, and you charge the guy behind me 15 All right, so let's do some actual dollar amounts here. So Holly puts $100 in a bank. How much will the bank pay her to rent her money? $9. $9. Great. Now, if I come right behind Holly in line and I need that $100, is the bank going to loan me the money? Uh, or are they going to their own money? Or are they going to loan me Holly's money? Of course, Holly's. Mine. <laughs> right. How much will the bank charge me for Holly's money? 15 bucks. Right on. All right. So what happened here? All right. So the bank invested $9 and then they got 15 That looks like a 6% spread, right? 9 plus 6 is 15 But actually, no. Their rate of return is 66.67%. That's awesome. If I owned a hardware store and I sold a hammer for $15, and let's say it cost me $9 to buy that at wholesale, that's a 66% markup, right? Banks are doing nothing different. They're just using financial loans and debt as their product instead of a hammer. Mm -hmm. And banks don't even put their own money into the deal. And that's why they're able to um, realize these these huge returns. Mm -hmm. They're using the fractional reserve banking system and they use leverage. Um, they're using other people's money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, go back to physics. What does leverage do? It, it, it uses a lever to in, in, increase the power of some sort of movement in something. So at the end of the 1980s, uh, many will remember that there was the savings and loan debacle in the bank uh, banking industry. Uh, and there just wasn't enough money at the FDIC to cover the banks. So a lot of the banks had to sell themselves off to pay their depositors. M many people don't realize that when that money goes into the bank, when you actually see that little, you know, that little um, tube that goes to the <laughs> bank, you are literally losing the control and title of that dollar or check or whatever, and it becomes an asset of the bank. 
and you become a creditor of that bank, interestingly enough. Uh, so we feel like the banks are safe places to put our money because of FDIC. But what is FDIC? What is it? Well, remember, it's it's us, you and me. It's all of us. Uh, you know, remember how they raised that uh, limit from 100000 to $250,000 not long ago? That means nothing. That just means we've got a bigger bailout coming, essentially. Mm. Uh, so when Alan Greenspan, back to the late 80s now and early 90s, so as Alan Greenspan, uh, head of the Fed, dropped the interest rate down tremendously to save the economy from dissolving and imploding on itself and to save the banks, they dropped those interest rates from 9% down to 3%. And it was very devastating for those trying to live, seniors, for example, trying to live off their interest rates on their CDs. To go from 9% to 3% mm -hmm. is like a big pay cut for most seniors. Yeah. But of course, banks were having record profits. Why is that? They were you know, they, they had lost a lot of their uh, ability to charge interest rates when, you know, the Fed had dropped theirs over over a, a cliff, basically. So banks were still having record profits. Banks didn't make less because the interest rates dropped. Um, but that seems like that should have been the case, right? So let's say the bank is offering 3% for a CD. And let's say that that bank loan is now being charged at 9%. Okay. So that's still a 6% spread, right? 6%, 3 plus 6 is 9. Mm -hmm. But really, the return on that is now 200%. Wow. 200. So now banks are doing 200%. And even at that low interest rate, now in the 90s, early 2000s, mo moving on to 2008, were the banks in great shape in 2008, Holly? Um, not, not the best <laughs> shape of their lives. <laughs> How can that be? How can you run a business so badly that you can't turn a profit when you're raking in 200% returns and still need a bailout? Well, you know, as it happens, the government stepped in and they tried to manipulate the interest rates. Okay. When, when the rates are artificially pushed down low uh, is when they give money for banks, right? That's how they do it. Uh, did, they, did the banks loan it out to consumers? Uh, no, no, they didn't. And why is that? That's the big question. Why didn't banks pass along all that TARP money uh, to the bank, uh, to the consumers and small businesses? Well, you have to think like a banker. The Federal Reserve uh, loaned money at half a percent. Uh, that's awesome. And the banks reinvested that into treasuries at 4%. So take f half a percent, and now they're investing it into government-backed guaranteed securities at 4%. That's a 700% return with no risk treasuries, Holly. <laughs> so wow. why in the heck would a bank take a risk on a small business owner if they could just go ahead and do that instead? That's how banks made out like bandits on our backs. And we gave them the money to do it. We did. Right? Yeah. So we gave them the money. Yeah. And then they're turning 700% profit yep. on our money. And then they're not even willing to give us 1%. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's really nice. Sure. Really yeah, nice yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And so um, banks aren't necessarily evil, though. You know, they are performing a service, right? You know, um, but it is important that we understand how all this leverage works and kind of the, the game that the banks are playing around us each and every day. Um, now, I just, you know, point out to many of you um, who are trying to Google maybe exactly how to apply for a bank charter <laughs> right now. 700 <laughs> percent, where do I sign up? Exactly. You know, I mean, you might be looking to start a bank, mm -hmm. um, but actually, you know, they don't hand those out very easily, very difficult. Uh, your chances of actually being able to start a bank at this point are probably about a thousand to one. Um, there are a lot of the money, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other folks out there who'd like to be bankers too. Um, it's going to take a lot of money and maybe a decade before you finally win uh, that 
Covenant Charter. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, I was thinking back on, um, you know, Adam Smith, who wrote a bunch of books on uh, capitalism and that sort of thing. He has a book called Paper Money. He says that a bank cannot make a loan unless he has a deposit. Now, that's that's just one of those, you know, did he actually write a book about that? <laughs> Seems like an obvious statement. Uh, but, you know, banks don't lend their own money, obviously. They're lending other people's money, as we've talked about. However, mm-hmm. that bank still has to have tremendous capital on the books to even open up their bank branch to get that charter. You know, I'm talking tens of millions, sometimes more, hundreds of millions of dollars just to open up your doors, one little bank branch down the street. So, you know, if you want to think like a banker, if you want to win like banks do, Again, we've been talking about it. it's about the volume of your interest. Uh, and rate of return is a far distant second, if at all. Uh, and there's a much easier way to accomplish the creation of your own banking system. And it's a mechanism that's been around for over 200 years. Uh, it's been tried and true. In fact, banks are some of the biggest users and, and uh, capitalizers of this system. And it's using dividend paying whole life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've been bringing this up over and over again, but I think it bears repeating only because it's not being repeated by anyone else out there. Yeah. Um, you know, news entertainment, infotainment, I should say, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Congress, our elected officials, other financial advisors. It's just not a common, uh, it's, it's not only is it not commonly talked about, it's a misconception when it is talked about. But if you can really think like a banker, if you want to win like the banks win, do what the banks do. I've heard it said once that you don't want to do what banks tell you to do with your money. You want to watch what they do with theirs and then go do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, all of the ingredients of a bank are already baked into what's ready for you when you get a whole life policy that's designed correctly. And I can't emphasize that enough. And it doesn't take a hundred million bucks to open up your own bank branch. It doesn't take, uh, you know, a banking commissioner's approval. All you have to do is understand the financial environment in which you're flying your plane. What's going on? Uh, is the key question. What, you know, what is truly happening? And that's the, that's, I guess, the the best question I can leave you with is truly ask yourself, where's the financial environment today? And do I want to take control over it? I think the most valuable thing you can do with your money is to learn the truth and to act on the truth that you can control the financial environment in which you live. If you don't control it, banks will do it for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So you have to understand how banks are winning if you want to even compete against them. All right, guys. Anything? Any final thoughts on that, Holly? Yeah, I guess just making sure that you're using that, you know, tailwind to your advantage, um, and maybe that might ma- mean, you know, making a couple strategic changes, maybe a couple um, leaps here or there. But you know, make that change, and like you said, you know, you'll you'll have a 600 mile per hour difference, you know, yeah. potentially um, in in what you're trying to accomplish. So it can mm-hmm. it can mean huge things. Sweet. Awesome. So thank you guys for joining us for another episode. I hope you're thinking different. I hope you're learning new ways of acting and behaving and controlling your environment. Thank you all for joining us for this most recent episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.